Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode, and today's discussion is going to be about a story in the Bible, about a particular point in that story actually, to be more specific. But before I get into further detail, let's bow our heads and say a word of prayer so that the Lord will be with us during this podcast. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for another beautiful day. Lord, thank you for life and health and for all of the blessings that you give to us. Lord, I ask that you continue to lead and guide in our lives. Help us to be more like you and less like ourselves. Help us to be ready for when you come in the clouds of glory. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your love with the world. Please help this to be a blessing to many people and continue to lead and guide and direct us in everything we say and do. We ask all these things in your precious, holy, wonderful son's name. Amen. All right, so we all know the story of Saul in the Bible, later to become known as Paul. And I'm talking about the Saul that is in the New Testament, not King Saul that's in the Old Testament. There are two different Sauls. And Saul in the New Testament, he had a very interesting story. And I want to focus in on his conversion stories. Now, before I get further into it, I want to say that there are times in all of our lives that we go against what the Lord is calling us to do. I mean, we hear distinctly what God would have us to do. And yet, because of our selfish inclinations, we don't want to do it. And we can be sure with what the Lord wants us to do by reading it in his Bible or by knowing the truth and doing something wrong anyway, like eating something or wearing something that isn't right. And we know it, but we go against what our conscience says and we do it anyway because we like it or want it. And that's the thing. We know what's right, but we don't do it. So we're going against what the Lord counsels us. Now, Saul was kind of in the same predicament. See, Saul, before he became Paul, was in the council among the Pharisees. He was very smart, very high up, and they listened to him because he was smart. This young man was very adamant with his faith, and he thought he was doing right. And he was there when Stephen was stoned, and he heard everything that was going on. This young man, Stephen, was telling them about Jesus and how his life was lived and how he was the Messiah. And of course, we all know that Stephen later was killed because of that. And Saul was there at the stoning and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And the council then wanted Saul to do something else. Well, Saul was very passionate and he was a crusader. So he wanted to go and help and do all this stuff and exterminate the Christians because he thought they were fanatical and that they needed to be wiped out like Stephen. And, you know, he did feel something during the stoning of Stephen. He didn't think it was right, but he went against that pricking in his mind. And he witnessed how Stephen acted. He witnessed how the men acted who were stoning him. And he saw the light and peace and joy on the face of Stephen when he died. It left a very strong imprint on his mind. And it would stay with him for the rest of his life. In spite of that fact, like I said before, he 
Tate turned right around and started to persecute more and more Christians. He was relentless in his cause and in his zeal. And he wanted to do this because he thought it was bringing glory and honor to the Lord. But it turns out that he was wrong and he was about to find out that. But before that, he got letters of approvals from the council to carry out the persecution for not just Jerusalem, but for cities past Jerusalem. Because at first it was only contained to the Christians in Jerusalem. But then he's like, I need to go out and do it to other cities, what we've done to Jerusalem. So the council approved that and he started on his journey and went to Damascus. Here they are on the way to Damascus and something very interesting happens. Sooner or later, they come to this point in this road where they're traveling and they're probably almost to Damascus, but not quite there yet. And all of a sudden, a bright light comes down from heaven and shines on Saul. And a voice was heard just by Saul. There was others that were traveling with him, soldiers, to help carry out the decree. But Saul was the only one that heard the voice. But they saw the bright light. And the voice was saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul was amazed and asked, Lord, who are you? And then the voice answered and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the prick. Now, this is a very interesting phrasing that he said there because Saul was going against what he was feeling. And this quote comes from 3SP, page 308.2 to 309.2. And it says this, And he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. No doubt entered the mind of Saul that this was the veritable Jesus of Nazareth who spoke to him, and that he was indeed the long-looked-for Messiah, the consolation and redeemer of Israel. And now this Jesus, who had, while teaching upon the earth, spoken in parables to his hearers, using familiar objects to illustrate his meaning, likened the work of Saul in persecuting the followers of Christ to kicking against the pricks. Those forcible words illustrated the fact that it would be impossible for any man to stay the onward progress of the truth of Christ. It would march on to triumph and victory, while every effort to stay would result in injury to the opposer. The persecutor in the end would suffer a thousandfold more than those whom he had persecuted. Sooner or later, his own mind and heart would condemn him. He would find that he had, indeed, been kicking against the pricks. The Savior had spoken to Saul through Stephen, whose clear reasoning from the scriptures could not be controverted. The learned Jew had seen the face of the martyr reflecting the light of Christ's glory and looking like the face of an angel. He had witnessed his forbearance toward his enemies and his forgiveness of them. He had further witnessed the fortitude and cheerful resignation of other believers in Jesus while tormented and afflicted, some of whom had yielded up their lives with rejoicing for their faith's sake. All this testimony had appealed loudly to Saul and thrust conviction upon his mind. But his education and prejudices, his respect for priests and rulers, and his pride of popularity braced him to rebel against the voice of conscience and the grace of God. He had struggled entire nights against conviction and had always ended the matter by avowing his belief that Jesus was not the Messiah, that he was an imposter, and his followers were deluded fanatics. Now here are some very interesting points in this few paragraphs that I want to point out. First of all, Christ brings to our mind 
conviction through the Holy Spirit. He convicts our mind in what is right and what is wrong, especially when we hear the truths and start to understand them. But then we still do what we want to do because we like doing it. And we go against what our conscience is telling us. We go against what we know is right. And, you know, we do this for various reasons. One, we like it. Other reasons are because we think we're superior and we have all this knowledge and some don't want to give up their position, their popularity, whatever that might mean. And what that means for as far as friends and family are concerned as well. You lose the respect, you lose their friendship sometimes. And I've gone through this before where people have stopped talking to me because they think I'm too fanatical or too religious or whatever the case might be. They don't want to talk to me or be my friend anymore because of my beliefs. But the Lord is our friend and our guide. He is everything to us always. And that's so amazing and so beautiful a promise. And yes, sometimes it's hard to lose those people that we love and care about. But what is more important, losing them or losing our soul for eternity? So Saul asked what he should do. This was a major thing. I mean, it took a bright light in the pathway to get him to be convicted that Jesus was the Messiah and to stop the persecution of the Christians and to give his heart and life to Christ. He had been feeling the conviction since Stephen's persecution and he had been ignoring it and the Lord did not give up on him. He still persisted and still went to the effort of trying to win his soul. And Saul made that journey to the city and he was blind once the light was gone. And with that, they headed to Damascus. And the people who were with him were amazed at what they witnessed. They wondered what happened because they hadn't heard the voice of Jesus. They probably heard what sounded like thunder. And they were afraid because they didn't know what was happening. And now all of a sudden, here their leader was blind and they had to lead him into the city. And there Saul fasted and prayed for three days and nights, and he was confessing his sins. There was a righteous man that lived in Damascus, and the Lord appeared unto him and told him to go to the street called Straight, which I find very interesting that Saul ended up on a street named Straight. He was on the right path, and he was told to go heal Saul's eyesight and to baptize him as well. And now Ananias was a righteous man. He was shocked. He had heard about Saul and his persecution, and he was kind of wondering if he should go there because of all of the things that Saul had done. And the Lord told him once again to go to Saul, for he had chosen Saul to be a vessel to witness to the Gentiles. So Ananias arose and went into the city and laid hands on Saul, and he prayed over him. And then he was baptized. This was an amazing conversion story. Saul then became Paul. He even changed his name because he wanted no association with his past life. And he became a great apostle for the Lord and used that same kind of zeal that he used when going after the Christian church to win souls for Christ. And we can learn so much from this story from Paul. And for instance, we may believe that we might be doing right and serving the Lord with all of our heart. But then God might awaken us 
something that we're doing wrong or something that we had believed was right is not right after all. And he tells us by our friends or from reading the Bible and from listening to sermons and we get convicted and we read and we study it out like the Bereans did in Paul's day. And sometimes we don't listen to that and we reject the light that God is trying to bring to us. Other times we accept it and we change. And sometimes it takes us a little while to change. The saddest part is for those people who were convicted and never changed at all. The Lord calls each of us to be a witness for him, to go out and share that truth with others. And sometimes we get so adamant against doing it that we turn all of our energy on something else and we don't want to go and share because it's awkward and because we're shy or all of these different reasons. But we can't make excuses and reasons for not doing something. The Lord has given us a purpose and a job to do, to go and serve the Lord in the areas that we can. Yes, you may be shy, but you know what? There's something that you can do that you may not have to go and speak in front of hundreds of people like Paul did, but you can do something simple to serve the Lord and to share his love and kindness. You can put a book on somebody's doorstep and just leave it there. I mean, the Lord calls us each to do something different. And as long as we're serving and sharing the Lord, that's what's important. But those pricks in our mind, that's the voice of the Lord telling us what we need to be doing and what we should be doing. But if we ignore it, like Saul did for a long time, we're going against what the Lord wants us to do. And sometimes the Lord has to use extreme measures to get the message across to our minds. I mean, it took a bright light for Paul and sometimes for us too. It takes that light of knowledge across our paths and it may happen in different ways. Maybe a friend, like I said before, would tell you something or you're just having a casual conversation and it was brought up. And so you start digging deeper into it and reading. And whatever the case might be, however the Lord brings that information to us. We have a duty to ourselves to research it out, study it out, and see whether these things be so. And if it be so, we need to change and stop going against the pricks. One of these days, the Lord is going to stop telling us what is right and what is wrong. We'll grieve away the Holy Spirit like the Bible says. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to our souls, but if we keep rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him, he's going to figure out that we don't want to do the right. We don't want to follow the Lord. So he's going to stop bringing that conviction to our hearts. This is what it says in Signs of the Times, February 12th, 1894, paragraph 7 and 8. Paul had a terrible awakening when the light from heaven flashed upon him, and a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Paul answered, Who art thou, Lord? And Christ said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The Lord always gives the human agent his work to do. Paul was to work in compliance with the divine command. If Saul had said, Lord, I am not in the least inclined to follow your directions in working out my salvation. Then should the Lord have showered upon him a light tenfold as bright, it would have been useless. It is man's part to cooperate with the divine. Here's where the conflict is to be sternest, hardest, and most fierce in yielding the will and way to God's will and way, relying upon the gracious influences which God has exerted upon the human soul through all the life. 
The man must do the work of inclining, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do. The character of the actions will testify what has been the nature of the resolve. The doing was not in accordance with the feeling and natural inclinations, but in the harmony of the will of the Father in heaven. Follow and obey the leadings of the Holy Spirit. Obey not the voice of the deceiver, which is in harmony with the unsanctified will, but obey the impulse God has given. This is what the heavenly intelligences are constantly working to have us to do. The will of our Father which is in heaven. Everything is at stake. Will the human agent cooperate with divine agencies to will and to do? If a man places his will on the side of God's will, fully surrendering self to do his will, the rubbish will be cleared from the door of the heart. The defiance of the soul will be broken down and Jesus will enter to abide as a welcome guest. This is exactly what I was talking about. And this is so beautiful. We need to break down that door of defiance of our soul. And we need to let Jesus come in as a guest and not listen to the deceiver who wants us to disobey the Lord. The Lord wants us to obey him out of love. Not because we feel like we have to, but because we love him. And we know that he's doing this for our own good. The Lord does not require us to do anything more than what he knows we can do. He has all of these rules in place to protect us for our own good. And the Lord will be with us and help us to do those things. But if we constantly reject the Lord, he'll draw back and he won't help us with these things anymore. And unfortunately, when we die, it'll be too late then to go back and change the way we were. Now is the time to awake out of sleep. Now is high time to change our ways and follow the Lord. We must hearken unto the voice of the Lord while he may be found. And that means a total surrender of ourselves to him, not just once, but every single day. The pathway is not always easy. There's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations along the way, but in the end, it will be worth it. The bitter must come before the sweet. Even the Bible says this. Jesus will never lead us astray. If we keep our eyes on him, we will be saved. We should not question or doubt God, but we can ask for confirmation that it is indeed him that is speaking to us and not the deceiver's voice. I mean, when we receive that confirmation from praying and from studying, we must act upon it immediately and do what the Lord says with no hesitation or fear of what may come upon us, whether it's persecution or death, whether it's family and friends leaving us. Sometimes we have to sacrifice everything. The Lord sacrificed everything for us. Can we not do the same for him? In RH, November 29th, 1892, paragraph five, it says this, the people of God are to be called out from their association with worldlings and evildoers to stand in the battle for the Lord against the powers of darkness. When the earth is lightened with the glory of God, we shall see a work similar to that which was wrought when the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed the power of a risen Savior. The light of heaven penetrated the darkened minds of those who had been deceived by the enemies of Christ, and the false representation of him was rejected, for through the efficiency of the Holy Spirit, they now saw him exalted to be a prince and savior, to give repentance unto Israel and remission of sins. They saw him encircled with the glory of heaven, with the infinite treasures in his hands to bestow upon those who turn from their rebellion. As the apostles set forth the glory of the only begotten of the Father, 3,000 souls were pricked to the heart, and they were made to see themselves as they were, 
sinful and polluted, and Christ as their Savior and Redeemer. Christ was lifted up. Christ was glorified through the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon men. By the eye of faith, those believers saw him as the one who had borne humiliation, suffering, and death, that they may not perish, but have everlasting life. As they looked upon his spotless righteousness, they saw their own deformity and pollution, and were filled with godly fear, with love and adoration for him who gave his life a sacrifice for them. They humbled their souls to the very dust and repented of their wicked works and glorified God for his salvation. And this is exactly what we need to do. By us being convicted of those prickings of our soul and then changing our life and by sharing the love of Jesus to others, we can then prick other people's souls so that they are convicted and they know of the love of Jesus and that they change their lives. It's a ripple effect. You throw a stone in the water and what happens? Ripple after ripple after ripple happens. And who knows, by you reaching that one soul, they reach thousands more. You do not know the effect that your work can bring. And that is so awesome. Imagine getting up to heaven and meeting all of these people because you witnessed to that one person, gave that one person a book that changed their whole lives and showed them the love of Jesus. That's something that no earthly treasure can buy. That that's just so amazing. And that's why Jesus would have come down to the world to save one person from their sin. Just for one. 14MR 1.3 says, I was shown in the vision given me of the judgment that God would send warnings, counsels, and reproof. Some would take heed to their ways and seek the Lord, while some would follow their own judgment because it was more convenient and pleasing to their own natural hearts to do so. And while some others would kick against the pricks, rise up against the testimonies of reproof, buys the warnings, choose their own wisdom, be ensnared and overcome by the enemy, and so blinded by his infatuations that they would be utterly unable to discern the things of God and would work directly against the light, enshrouding themselves in darkness and error. Then these very ones would sustain and strengthen the hands of our bitterest enemies. This quote here shows us what happens when we go against the prickings that the Lord sends our way. We become enshrouded in darkness and so blinded that we cannot discern the things of God and we work against God and on the side of Satan. There's only two sides to this story. One is the Lord's and one is the devil's. We have to choose what side we're on. There's no sitting in the middle. We can't stay in the middle ground. We have to choose the right path on the side of the right. Otherwise, we will be lost. And that is sad. Very sad indeed. That is why the Bible says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because many people will be lost and many people will say, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied? Have I not done these wonderful things? Fed the poor? Done all these great works in your name? Have I done all this stuff for you? And the Lord will reply and say, I never knew you depart from me ye that work in iniquity and those are very sad words indeed and i for one do not want to hear those words spoken to me on the judgment day we must come and do what the lord has bidden us before it's too late time's running out there are things happening in this world that is bringing the close of probation and jesus will soon be here we need to get ready when he comes and i want to be ready when he comes don't you there are many stories in the bible like saul who went against the pricking of their conscience and the Lord forgave them for it. We have the story of David who cheated and slept with Bathsheba and killed her husband and did all of these things but he repented
repented very sincerely for his sin. And then he was forgiven. And the Lord still called him a man after his own heart, even after everything that David did. And we can be called that too. There are other stories in the Bible too of people who made mistakes and the Lord forgave them for it. And these examples are given to us in the Bible to show us that these people go through the same thing as us. Saul, David, and these are just a few of the names. Look at Peter when he cursed at the crucifixion. Three times he denied his Savior and then he was so, so sorry and he repented. But unlike Peter, who repented for denying his Savior, Judas did not. He felt so guilty for betraying Jesus that he committed suicide. He did not repent of his sins. And that story is very solemn. There are two people who denied their Lord and chose two different pathways in life in how to handle it. One chose repentance, true repentance, and the other chose death. And that's very sad to hear that when people choose death over life. Peter knew he had done wrong. Therefore, he confessed his sins. But he could have easily have chosen the same path that Judas did. Just like us, we can choose the path. We are given freedom of choice. The Lord brings to our mind these things that we should or shouldn't do, but he doesn't force us to do it. We can still choose to do what is wrong or what is right. And unfortunately, when we choose to do what is wrong, he cries. Unfallen worlds, angels, all of them cry. And they're looking anxiously upon the scene to see what we're going to do, whether we're going to go against those prickings or if we're going to choose what's right. These stories are given to us in the Bible so that we can look at them and realize that it doesn't have to be this way. We can do repentance just like David and Saul, who became Paul, and Peter, and numerous other people in the Bible who for a time did something that, that wasn't right, but then later repented and were stronger than ever before. Solomon, who was the wisest man of all, built idols to other gods. And then he repented later on in life. He went against the prickings of his conscience and he let others lead him to do what is wrong. We cannot let popularity, we cannot let our friends or family or anybody else lead us off the pathway. We need to stand firm and do what is right. We need to humble our souls. And if that means we lose everything, then so be it. We're not after the treasures of this world anyway. We're after the treasures of our heavenly home. We're after being with the Lord for eternity and with the saints. And this is what is most important. And I don't want to kick against the pricks anymore. I mean, yes, it is hard and we want to do what flesh wants to do. But this is why it's so important to pray and to read our Bibles and to go to the Lord when we are feeling tempted because he can help us. He can lead us out of temptation. I highly encourage you to go read the story for yourself and read Stephen's speech. He puts the story of Christ so eloquently and read in the Acts of the Apostles, the story of Saul's conversion. It's a very powerful story indeed. And it reminds me so much that I have a Savior who loves me and who will redeem me and who has called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I want to call others out of that darkness into his marvelous light as well. Don't you? I have this song that goes perfectly for it. And and it's called, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? 
for me who him to death pursued amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me tis mystery all the mortal dies who can explore his strange design in vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine tis mercy all at earth adore let angel minds inquire no more amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me he left his father's throne above so free so infinite his grace emptied himself of all beloved and bled for adam's helpless race tis mercy all he meant and free for oh my god it found out me amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night thine eye diffused a quickening ray i woke the dungeon inflamed with light my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me no condemnation now i dread jesus and all in him is mine alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine bold i approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through christ my own amazing love how can it be that thou my god should die for me and it is amazing love indeed that christ died for us to save us from our sins and to help us along the way so that we can be with him forever and ever remember what it says in matthew 5 16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven and with that being said let your light so shine that you are a star witness for the lord